chapter 6 today is where we're going to be. Last week we talked about how to kickstart our faith, and this week we're going to talk about the family and how to have a fresh start as a family unit and what the Bible has to say about the home and the family. And it's going to be a little bit of a different type of message today, a lot of practical uh, exhortation from these verses. I want to encourage you to have something to write with, have a Bible to follow along with. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And I want to encourage you, especially those of you uh, that are raising children or interested in the next generation, to uh, lean in today to this passage. I believe God wants to speak to us in a great way. Ephesians chapter 6, if you're ready, would you say amen? Verse number one of Ephesians chapter six says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, and honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Today I want to bring a message that I'm calling Home Improvement. Home Improvement from Ephesians chapter 6. Let's have a word of prayer together today. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church, even in this new year. God, we want to praise you and thank you for four people that prayed to accept Christ last Sunday. God, we want to give you all the glory from it. God, I pray that we would never get distracted from what this is really all about and why we come together. God, I pray that we would recognize that it's really not about us, but it's about your name and your honor and your glory. And Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes, we will be able to focus in on your word, that we will be able to glean spiritual truth and apply it to our lives. I pray that we would understand what the home should look like according to a biblical standard. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, a few years ago, Katie came to me and she said, I would really like a wood shiplap wall in our bedroom. And she said, I want a wood shiplap wall. And I thought, okay, that's a great idea. But I knew right off the bat, that is not a project for me to complete. I need to recruit some help for this. And so uh, I had a friend come and he helped us put together and build this, this shiplap wood wall in our bedroom. And he did a great job. He saw that project through from start uh, to completion. But I did have one job in that project. I had one assignment. And that assignment was simply to put back on the light switch plate, screw it back onto the wall uh, once we finished with, with the project. And so I took that job seriously. And I just had recently uh, got a new drill. And I was excited about using that drill. So I, th I thought, I'm going to use the drill to, to screw in this light switch plate. And of course, I drilled it, and I drilled it a little too tight, and I cracked the entire light switch plate. And so now in our house, you can see this beautiful wood shiplap wall and my light switch plate that I cracked. And every time I walk by it, I'm reminded of my failure in that moment. And uh, sometimes home improvement projects don't go according to plan. How many of you have ever had a home improvement project take longer than you thought or cost more money than you thought it was going to cost, right? And uh, they often don't go according to plan. Thankfully for us, when it comes to building up a spiritual house, 
The Bible has much to say, and the Bible has a lot to offer when it comes to building up a home spiritually, building a family up spiritually. In fact, in the New Testament, the Greek word for family is the same word for house, to build up a spiritual family and house. Proverbs puts puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 24, verse number three, through wisdom, everybody say wisdom. Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And I love this verse because if we faithfully seek God's word and and want to uh, operate our families according to a biblical model and we seek wisdom, then all the chambers, all the room in the house will be filled with God's blessing. And I believe that every follower of Jesus, this is something that we desire. This is something that we want. We want God's blessing to be upon our homes. We want a spirit-filled home. But often we want God's blessings, but we neglect God's instruction in his word. And we want to operate our homes according to the way that we think things that should be done or, or, or according to some experience that we may have had rather than seeking God's word. And when we do that, it ultimately will bring pain to ourself and also to those that are closest to us. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse number 29, he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind, and the fool shall be a servant to the wise of heart. And so if we trouble our own house, if you are the one that's responsible for bringing trouble into your own home, you're going to inherit the wind. You're going to have nothing to show for it. It's going to be, it's going to be unending frustration for you. And so today I want to look to Proverbs chapter 24 and, and understand this, this wisdom uh, when it comes to building a house and, and follow this advice from Proverbs by looking to uh, the book of Ephesians. Now, I want to say right from the get-go that we are a young church and uh, we're celebrating five years in two weeks. And I'm excited about that, celebrating five years, over 500 people praying to accept Christ. God has done some amazing things in the first five years. The best is yet to come. But one thing that I love about our church is that we are a young church and that we have a lot of young families, a lot of young couples and, and families that are raising children. We also have many people in our church that are uh, having children that are already raised and, and maybe in a season of retirement. But I want you to know today, whatever season you find yourself in, whether it's a season of singleness, whether it's a season of married with young kids, maybe your kids are already out of the house, maybe you're retired, whatever season you find yourselves in, I want to encourage you today that all of us, every follower of Jesus, must know what the Bible says about the home about the family. Because make no mistake about it, the home and the family is under attack in our culture today. And the devil wants nothing more than to distort our view of the home, to disrupt our idea of what the home should be. The devil wants nothing more than to throw a grenade at our perception of the home. And today I'm telling you that there is value in God's word. There is value in the home. And when we follow God's word and God's instruction, then blessings will fill every room of the house. We have to understand what the Bible says. Now, to do this, we're going to look at Ephesians because Paul, in this letter to the church at Ephesus, gives so much practical exhortation about what the home should look like. Now, this passage that we just read is perhaps familiar to you. When we read these verses, uh, perhaps these are verses that you have read before. But this was not the case in the first century when Paul wrote these things. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians 
really for one primary purpose. He wanted to encourage them in their new identity in Christ. By the way, our identity is not found in what we do, in what sexual orientation we might have. Uh, our, our identity is linked in Christ. That, that's our identity. And that's the message of the book of Ephesians, that our identity is in Christ. And a company with that new life in Christ is accompanied new relationships. Because once we're saved and once we follow Jesus, that radically transforms the way that we uh, encounter our relationships. And so in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul is going to talk about these new relationships. He's going to talk about the home. And when Paul talks about these things, they were radically different from the culture in which he lived in which Paul lived. Uh, There were three primary cultures of influence in Paul's day. There was Jewish culture, Greek culture, and Roman culture. In Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, a woman was not held in high regard. In fact, tragically, a woman was viewed more of a possession than a person. And so as you can imagine, marriages struggled in Jewish communities uh, because of this. That was Jewish culture. Greek culture, which had a predominant influence upon the day, was running rampant with sexual immorality and promiscuity, almost to the point where prostitution was celebrated. Not only was prostitution in Greek culture allowed, it was something that was encouraged. One Athenian statesman and orator, his name was Demosthenes, he said this uh, uh, in this time period. He said, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and of having a faithful guardian for our household affairs. And so that was Greek culture. Uh, that, that, that was the view and the estimation of, of, of women and of marriage in Greek culture. And then there was Roman culture, and in Roman culture, marriage was really all over the map, all different kinds of ideas. In fact, we have some historians that have documents that date where someone in Roman culture would get married and then divorced and married and divorced, married and divorced, upwards of 23 times in Roman culture. And so marriage was not held in high regard. And so the reason why it's important for us to understand this context is when Paul comes along in Ephesians chapter 5, and when he says something like, husbands, love your wives... As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that was a foreign concept. That was almost considered absurd. When Paul in Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, this was something that was completely foreign, almost laughable in the first century. But these concepts and these biblical principles and this divine truth had a radical transformation on the culture in which Paul uh, was teaching and Paul was preaching. In fact, William Barclay, he's a commentator, he said this, it is impossible to exaggerate the cleansing effect that Christianity had on home life in the ancient world and the benefits that it brought to women. Why? Because I want you to know today that God's plan is always the best plan and that God's design is always the best design. And so Christianity came along and these principles had a dramatic effect and they had this cleansing effect on the home. And tragically now, in 2022, Those principles which once made home strong, we are now drifting from once again. And these same principles that once changed the world, now they're becoming absurd and laughable once again. In fact, of the 130 million households in America, only 17% of those households uh, have parents with children, married parents with children. So think about that for a second. 130 million households, only 17% have married parents with children. And so what we see is that the family is dissipating right before our eyes because the devil has a target on the family and wants to destroy and to disrupt the family. And so today, I want us to look to Ephesians chapter 6 and get back 
to the Bible and back to what God has to say about the family. Would that be okay today? And so I believe that all of us, no matter what our background is, no matter what our family status might look like, all of us should have an understanding of what the Bible has to say about the home. And so today I want to give us three ways that we can build up a spiritual house. Would that be okay? Three ways that we can build up a spiritual home. Number one is this. We have to recognize the value of children. We have to recognize the value of children. Notice Ephesians chapter 6. Notice verse number 1. It says this. Children. Everybody say children. Now, in one sense, we're all children. We've all been born. In another sense, if you're a Christian, if you're in the family of God, then you are a child of God. And so all of us are children in in that sense. But specifically here, Paul is saying children, and he's talking about the next generation, those that are coming up. And the fact that Paul mentions children, the fact that Paul even says this word, shows the high value that the early church put on children and put on kids. Because in the early in the, early, uh, uh, in the first century, in this culture, uh, they did not have a high regard of children, specifically young girls. And that is why Leon Morris is one commentator. He says, it's surprising that Paul doesn't say, boys, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The fact that he mentions children shows the high value that Paul in the early church was placing on the home and on family and on the family. And I want you to know today that God values life and that he values children. And this is something that we have to understand. John Stott, he talked about this society in which Paul wrote. He said, it was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire, in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones were killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as a partial nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. That was the view of children in the first century. And so when Paul comes along and he's talking about how to bring up children and love children and train children, this was a radically new idea. And what he was saying is we must recognize the value that God places on children. Can I tell you today that God loves the Rock Hill kids and he loves the nursery and he loves Rock Hill youth culture. God loves children and so should we. I hope there would be some people today at the 11 o'clock service that would say, you know what, I'm going to recognize the value of children. Psalm 127 says, says that children are an heritage of the Lord. Children are a blessing, not a burden. God loves children. God puts a high value on life. By the way, God puts a high value on life outside of the womb and inside of the womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed thee in the belly, God was speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Long before you were ever even born, I had a plan and a purpose for your life, showing that God cares and loves the unborn. Because God loves and cares for children. Even Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse number 14, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid, do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God heaven. And so Jesus welcomed children in, recognizing the value of children. And so Paul says children, and then he's going to talk about children in two different ways. He's going to talk about their actions. Okay, I want you to see it in verse number one. Everybody have a Bible today? Notice verse number one. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The word obey means to listen and to submit. Okay, and so all the teenagers and all the children in the room today, we need to remember what this word means, to listen. And sometimes as a parent, I want to make sure that my kids are listening, right? If I'm telling them, are you listening? You know, are you sure you're listening? The other night we were reading a devotion together as a family, getting ready to put the children to bed. And uh, I was reading a book. And as I was reading the book, I looked up and I noticed that 
None of the kids were listening, okay? Uh, Blakely was doing something. Liv was doing something. Luke was doing something. And so I just shut the book, and I said, all right, we're not going to read tonight. None of you are listening. And uh, Liv looked at me. She said, no, Dad, keep on reading. I was listening. I said, Liv, you are not listening. And then Liv went on to quote verbatim, perfect, word for word, the, the first two sentences of that story. And she looked at me like, kind of like, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, maybe you were listening, all right? It just didn't look like you were listening. But this is the idea of the word obey. It means to listen and to submit. By the way, why does a child need to listen and submit? Did you see it in verse number one? It's not just for our own gain. Verse number one, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Because ultimately, it honors the Lord. For the, who do you do it for? The Lord. By the way, why do we serve? For the Lord. Why do we listen and submit? For the Lord. It's not to be men pleasers. It's not to please the person to my left or to my right or my neighbor. No, we do what we do for the Lord. And that's why as a parent, it's a good question to ask your children, hey, is this something that Jesus would allow? Is this something that would honor the Lord? Uh, these are things that we need to implement as parents. And so he, he talks about their actions, okay? Uh, obey, submit, and listen. But then he's going to talk about their attitude, okay, in the next verse. It says this, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So he says honor. Now, Paul's going all the way back to the Ten Commandments, stating the fifth commandment, which was the first horizontal commandment, uh, meaning first commandment dealing with our relationships, honor your father and mother. The word honor means to revere, to respect. This was something that was very serious in ancient culture in the Old Testament. In fact, verbal or physical abuse of your mother or father all the way back in the Old Testament was considered a capital offense. And so this was a big deal in, in, in the Old Testament. Now, thankfully, we don't live in that culture, but I want you to know that God expects there to be a level of honor within the home. A level of respect, uh, respect through body language, respect through tone, uh, respect through verbiage. This is something that the Lord uh, expects, and God will honor those that honor their parents. This is why in my household, uh, I don't apologize for expecting a level of honor in our home. Because I know that if my kids at a young age can learn to honor authority, then one day they will learn to be in authority, and they'll learn to lead. And so God honors those that honor their father and their mother. Romans chapter 12, verse number 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. And so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, honor is something that we're to show to all men, but it begins in the home. And by the way, if you want to have a healthy start to 2022, it begins in the home. Uh, that's why in this new series, Kickstart, I wanted to talk about faith and family. Because if we're going to go out and make a difference, if we're going to go out and change the world, it starts in the four walls of our own home. And so we've got to start in the home. And it starts with honor. I love this quote by Adrian Rogers. I've said it before. Uh, Adrian Rogers said this, We will never be over those things that God has set under us until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. There is strength through surrender. We have to learn to honor the authority that God has placed in our lives. And so we have to recognize the value of children. Here's the second thought. Number two today, we review the promises of Scripture. Everybody with me this morning? And so we have to review the promises of Scripture. If we want to have a healthy home and build up a spiritual house, we have to know what the Bible says. And I want to tell you today, when you know what the Bible says, there's great encouragement when it comes to building up a spiritual house. Because sometimes parenting can be lonely. Sometimes it can be discouraging. Sometimes raising uh, the next generation can feel like a big weight that's on your shoulders. But there's encouragement in Scripture. And I want us to see it starting in verse 2. 
honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. And so the cool thing about the fifth commandment, this commandment to honor father and mother, is it's the first commandment that comes with a built-in promise. And so here's the promise, verse number three, that it may be well with thee. I love the simplicity of that statement, that it'll be well with you. You know why we should raise up the next generation according to a biblical standard and teach children to listen and to submit and to honor father and mother? Because it will be well with them. It'll be well in the household. And so this speaks to two things. First, it speaks to the quality of life. You know, when you follow a biblical model in raising the next generation, your quality of life will drastically improve. It will be well with you. Less bickering, less yelling in the house, less uh, division. There will be a level of tranquility. Please hear me. I want you to know this. Your home will never be a perfect place. But by the grace of God, it can be a peaceful place. It will be well with you. The quality of life will dramatically improve. But not only the quality of life, then secondly, the quantity of life. Did you see the second part of verse number three? Everybody still with me? Notice verse three. That it may be well with you. That's the quality of life. Improves. And that thou mayest live long on the earth. That's the quantity of life. And so Paul is stating this principle, and he's giving us some encouragement. And he's saying, generally, if a child obeys and honors their father and mother, they will avoid certain sins and dangers that could potentially shorten their life. For example, if I tell my son Luke, hey, Luke, don't run in the street, and he obeys me, then he's going to avoid that danger, and he's going to find that there is safety in submission. And so what Paul is saying is that when you follow a biblical model, your quality of life improves, and the quantity of life, generally speaking, uh, can improve. And this is such encouraging and great news, because how many of you have ever experienced any sort of family drama? Can I see your hands? All right, I'm making sure everybody's raising their hand. Uh, okay, uh, we've all experienced some family drama, right? We've all experienced some heartache, some maybe some unfortunate things that have happened in the home. And sometimes it can be discouraging. Sometimes we can feel like, man, I don't know if it's worth it to apologize. I tried that last time, nothing happened. I don't know if it's worth it to keep on uh, teaching my children the same. They're just never going to get it. I just don't know. I don't know if I'm a good mom. I don't know if I'm a good dad. I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if this is even worth it. And what Paul is saying is, let me encourage you today. It's always worth it to follow God's plan. Hey, there are benefits and blessings to following God's model. It will be well with you that thou mayest live long upon the earth. It's always worth it to serve and follow Jesus. Paul's saying, hey, there's encouragement here in this verse. Review the promises of scripture. The next time the devil jumps on your back and says, hey, it's not worth it, the late nights, all the praying, it's not worth it, just give up the fight. When the next time the devil jumps on your back and he tempts you to quit in your family relationships, remember the promises of scripture, that it may be well with you that thou mayest live long on the earth. There are blessings to following the Lord. I love what uh, one Bible teacher, Martin DeHaan said. He said, the nearest thing to heaven on earth is a happy Christian home. We can experience this peace and tranquility. This leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this. We have to remember the responsibility of a parent. Now, as a parent, we have to recognize the responsibility that God has given us, okay? Notice verse number four. He says, and ye fathers, fathers. Now, the word fathers is the same Greek word translated in Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, as parents. And so I believe that Paul specifically here is addressing the father specifically, but the general application goes to both parents. And you have to understand today, as a parent, 
you are the primary disciple maker in the lives of your children. Now, that's significant because a lot of people miss this and they get confused about this. What that means is it is not primarily the church's responsibility to teach your children. It's certainly not the government's responsibility to teach your children. It's not the school system's responsibility to raise up a spiritual house. It is the primary responsibility of the parent to be the disciple maker in the lives of of your children. And so Paul is going to specifically address the fathers and the parents in this passage. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, it is from God that parents receive their children. How many people believe that today? Anybody else believe that today? That children are a gift from God, right? And uh, children are a gift. They're a blessing. They're not a burden. It is from God that parents receive their children, and it is to God that they in turn ought to lead them. And so we have this responsibility today uh, to steward what God has given us. Now, to the parents. Now, this is great biblical advice for anyone today. So if you're a parent, if you're not a parent, if you're thinking about one day being a parent, I really want to encourage you to lean in here because the Bible has some specific instructions for what a parent should be and what a parent should not be, okay? And so first, he gives a word of caution. Everybody with me? He gives a word of caution. Now, notice the word of caution. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Provoke not your children to wrath. In fact, in Colossians, it says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. He says, as a parent, make sure that your behavior does not lead to a child becoming angry or building resentment or being discouraged. Now, I have three kids, and I don't like to see my kids discouraged. I don't like to see them sad. When I see them sad or discouraged, my natural inclination is I want to encourage them. I want to put courage in them, encourage them. But... I certainly don't want to be the source of discouragement in their lives. And Paul says, be very careful as a parent that you do not provoke your children to wrath. I believe today in today's culture, there's five primary ways in which parents do this. I'm going to put them on the screen. And uh, this is a kind of a practical uh, lesson from the word of God today. But I want to encourage you to write some of these things down because I believe they're, they're going to be helpful in your life. Five ways that a parent can provoke their child to wrath. The first way is through overindulgence. This means that when a parent is constantly giving a child whatever they want, when the answer is always yes, anything I want to do, yes, they never hear no, always hear yes, and, and, uh, and the door is always open, that will lead to a sense of entitlement. And when a sense of entitlement comes to fruition, that will lead to resentment. And so a parent should not provoke their child to wrath by overindulgence. Just, hey, you can have whatever you want, you can do whatever you want because it's easier that way. And so that's overindulgence. The second way that a parent can provoke a child to wrath is through overprotection. Now, I believe that a parent should protect what comes into their home. And a parent should protect uh, what influences their child. How many of you believe today that a parent has a responsibility to protect their household? Anybody believe that today? I think that we can all agree that there are certain things that we should not allow access uh, to our children. A child shouldn't have unrestricted access to an iPad with internet. You just shouldn't do that. It's not wise. Okay, there are certain things that you should protect and uh, certain shows maybe, certain movies that you shouldn't allow in your household because you are a steward of that household and you want to guard against those influences. And so we should protect, but when a, when a parent protects and holds on too tightly for too long, and when a child is growing in maturity and responsibility, and then we hold on too long, that too will lead to resentment, and that'll lead to anger. 
And so there's, there's extremes here. There's the extreme of overindulgence, just yes, whatever you want. Then there's overprotection, you can't do anything. And both could provoke a child to wrath. There's a third category. The third category is this, through favoritism. Favoritism is something that we see all throughout Scripture. And favoritism in the Bible always brings pain. We see this all throughout uh, the Bible. We see an example of Jacob and his son Joseph. Jacob favored Joseph. He loved Joseph more than the other brothers. That caused his brothers to become very envious and jealous, and they hated uh, Joseph. And as a result, everyone in that story experienced pain because favoritism always leads to pain. And so through favoritism, the fourth way is through inconsistency. When sometimes there's a consequence for this action, other times there's not a consequence for this action. Sometimes sure, sometimes no, sometimes mood is up, sometimes it's down, sometimes there's discipline, sometimes there's not. Inconsistency will provoke a child to wrath. And then the fifth and final area is through neglect. And tragically, this takes place far too often in our world today. And you can read the statistics. I read some this week just in preparation. It's astounding that the numbers and the quality and the quantity of time that a parent spends with their child is extremely low especially amongst fathers. It's, the numbers are, are less than four hours face-to-face conversation a week sometimes. Uh, low numbers. And so often children are experiencing neglect. It's estimated that one in seven children in the United States have experienced child abuse and or neglect in the past year. In 2018, 76% of child, abusers, uh, of child abuse perpetrators were a parent to their victim. of children placed in foster care were removed from their homes due to abusive neglect, totaling over 160,000 children. And so neglect, when we're so focused on what we want in our career and our desires and in our passions and we neglect the children, there's devastating effects and it will provoke a child to wrath. And so Paul gives this word of caution. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. But then he turns the corner, he gave the negative, now he's going to give the positive, and he's going to give a word of counsel. So he gave a word of caution, now here's the word of counsel. He says, don't do that, here's what you should do. Is anybody interested in what a parent should do? Anybody this morning? So he's saying, don't do that, here's what you should do, okay? The word of counsel, verse 4, he says, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. Now, I love this. There, there are three distinct actions and, and three distinct avenues in, in which Paul is directing here. The first is development. He says, bring them up. Bring them up. Uh, that means help them come into maturity. Help them understand. Bring them up. Make sure that they are growing. Help them reach their potential. Uh, Kate and I, we were laughing the other day. We were remembering when our son Luke first went to preschool. This was a couple years ago, and uh, this was his first day at preschool. He was excited to go, and uh, he came back, and we were kind of curious, what did he learn at preschool that day? And he came back with a piece of paper that had a big letter N on it. And he came in smiling, and we said, Luke, what did you learn today? And he said, look, Mom, I learned the number F. And we were like, that's not a number. (laughs) That's a letter N. It's not the letter F. It's the letter N. And we thought, okay, he's still got some growing to do, right? And uh, we laugh about that sometimes. we got to help him grow in that area. But as a parent, it's our responsibility to help a child grow. Specifically, the Bible talks about certain areas in which we should help a child grow. And I believe that there's a great verse on this that kind of gives us a template, a standard uh, for which to follow. And if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to write it down. It's Luke 2.52. Luke 2.52 And we see it exemplified in the life of Jesus. As Jesus was growing, as Jesus was maturing into manhood, this is one of the only verses that we have of Jesus' life in this time period. And it says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. 
See, all children must grow in these four areas. Jesus increased in wisdom. That's the mental capacity. He increased in stature. That's the physical capacity. In favor with God, that's spiritual capacity. In favor with men, that's social capacity. These are the four primary areas that we are to bring up the children. Make sure that they're growing mentally, growing physically, growing spiritually, growing socially. We want to bring them up. And so that's what Paul says. He says, bring them up. That speaks to development. But then he says, bring them up in the nurture. Did you see it in verse 4? Bring them up in the nurture. That speaks to discipline. And so there's development, but then there's also discipline. Because the word nurture carries with it the idea of learning through discipline. In fact, that same word nurture in the New Testament is also translated as chastening. Chastening. How many of you know the verse that says, uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens? That means that because God loves us, he will correct us. Uh, because God loves us, he will discipline us and steer us in the right direction. And if you love your children, there's going to be a level of discipline, okay? Uh, there's got to be a level of, of correction, and there's got to be a level of consequence. But discipline must be three things. First of all, discipline must be consistent. There's got to be a consistent pattern of, of discipline. Discipline must be clear. Anytime we're disciplining our kids and we have a moment uh, we want to make sure we talk to them and understand why they're being corrected, why they're being disciplined. And often we'll have them communicate that back to us. Why are we doing this? And we want them to understand. We want it to be very clear why there's a consequence, not just because mom and dad got angry. No, uh, we want them to know why. So discipline must be consistent. It must be clear. And discipline must be compassionate. It can't be just flying off the handle and getting angry and, and there be a rage, raging moment. No, no. Uh, there must be compassion when it comes to discipline. And so Paul says, bring them up. That's development. In the nurture, that's discipline. And then he says, in the admonition of the Lord. And that speaks to direction. Direction. So there's development, there's discipline, and direction. Bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition means uh, to teach uh, by, by means of words. And so in other words, we use our words to teach our children. And so as a parent, you can't just take a back seat and say, well, they'll just learn this at school. Or they'll just learn this the hard way. Or I'm just going to kind of let them figure this out on their own. No, as a parent, it's our job to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To teach them in the way that they should go. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 20 puts it this way. My son... Keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. And so he's pleading here. He's pleading in Proverbs to keep the father's commandment. And so as a parent, we must provide direction and teaching. This should be a way of life. Now, I wanted to give us in closing today a verse of encouragement. Could anybody in the room today, whether you are a child, a teenager, a parent, uh, whatever your status is, could anybody today use a little bit of encouragement? Can I just see your hands? Anybody need some encouragement today? Titus chapter two, verse number 11 says this. For the grace of God. Everybody say the grace of God. The grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. By the way, the love of God was displayed on the cross of Calvary for all men, not just a select few. Jesus died for all people. Red, yellow, black, and white. He loves everyone. The grace of God has appeared to all men. Then he says this, teaching us. Did you know that the grace of God 
is at work in your life today teaching you. Who's the teacher in that verse? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Teaching us. The grace of God is at work teaching us. And so as a parent, we want to raise up the next generation. We want to teach them. But sometimes we might feel inadequate. Sometimes we might feel like, man, I don't know if I have it in me. I don't know if I'm doing that. I feel like maybe I am provoking my kids to wrath. And I don't know if I'm being the parent that I'm supposed to be uh, being. I'm trying my best, but I just don't know. It can be overwhelming. It can be discouraging. But I want you to know that the grace of God is at work in your life. And the grace of God is at work in the lives of your children. And the grace of God is always sufficient. And so the next time you feel inadequate, the next time you feel weak and you feel like you don't have it in you, just know that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. So often I talk to parents that are just weary and they're discouraged and tired and don't know if they're doing it right. But I want you to know today, the grace of God is at work in the lives of our children and in our lives. It doesn't negate us from responsibility, but we can rest assured that God is always working. Even like the song that we sang, even when we can't see it, he's always working. And we can rest assured in that fact today. Today, we zeroed in on the home. And we talked about parenting, children obeying your parents and the Lord for this is right. We talked about the home. But the most important thing that I could communicate to you, the most important thing is that you know for sure that you are in God's family. We talked about the family today, but most importantly is that you know that you're in God's family. We talked about the home today, but the most important thing is that you know that you have an eternal home. And Jesus talked about this in John 14 too. He said, in my father's house, By the way, I'm interested in God's house. He says, in my father's house, he's speaking of heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. The word mansion simply means rooms. And I love what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, in my father's house, we have room for everybody. He says, anybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. In my father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. So he's speaking of heaven. He's saying, in my house, you're invited. You're welcome. I want to welcome you into my home, welcome you into my family. And Thomas, the disciple, was there that day, and he heard Jesus say that, and that sounded interesting to him. He knew about all the pain and turmoil of this earthly life, and he says, Jesus, I want to go there. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to your father's house where there's many rooms. And so Thomas said, how do I get there? By the way, what a great question. If I was there that day, I would be wondering the same thing. I'm so glad that Thomas raised his hand to ask the question because that's exactly what I would have wanted to do. How do we get there? Sounds awesome. And it's to that question from Thomas that Jesus replied one of the most famous statements in all of scripture. Jesus said, Thomas, you want to know how to get to my house? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's an exclusive claim that separates Christianity from every other major world religion. Jesus says, you want to get to heaven? You want to have a relationship with God? It's only through me. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not by being religious and being a good person and checking off things on a spiritual to-do list. It's only through me. That is the good news of the gospel message. That's why we started this church five years ago. And that's what's going to be continued to be preached from this stage, from this platform, and every building that we're in from now until God comes home, until God calls us home. It's the message of the gospel. It's how we can know for sure that we're in the family of God, only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's something that you've never done, if you're in the room today, if you're watching online today, and you've never received the free gift of salvation, you've never been welcomed into God's family, today can be the day of salvation for you. And Jesus is standing with outstretched arms saying, come home. 
come home. You can receive Christ today and know that you have a home in heaven. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.